1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here for the transition day. I'm not going to call it a rest day. Q&A after the three stages finishing in Hungary, they then go down to Sicily in the Giro d'Italia. We've only had three stages. There's not that much to talk about. You can see our podcast of yesterday where we discuss the Grande Partenza. So we're going to do a and a ...on your Monday to keep you going and to answer some questions that have built up. Remember, we ask these usually on Lantern Recycling Podcast Twitter, so if you want to answer them when we do them periodically or ask questions rather, that's the place to go to. We're going to talk about our experience here in Budapest, uh, whether Benji will be on sports as soon, what our ideal world tour calendar looks like, and some other things like our other favorite sports. But more importantly... Just to remind you, the reason we were able to meet for the first time to come to Budapest to experience the Giro d'Italia Grande Partenza is thanks to our show partner, Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. If you want to check it out, MVDP uses Zwift, used it in January, Cavendish, we're recording this before the sprint on stage three, maybe he wins, he's also on Zwift there's something for everyone to help you get fitter and have more fun on the bike it has real world and fantasy locations to ride in hundreds of workouts on demand so if you want to check out Zwift go to Zwift.com for a free seven-day trial I've been eating good in Budapest so I'm heading straight back to Zwift when I get back to Andorra tomorrow but first question Benji how have you found Budapest? Have you enjoyed the, the in-race experience, going to the race, first ever Grand Tour for both of us?
0: Yeah, very, very much. It's just the combination of seeing the riders up close, meeting people that are LRCP listeners, meeting people that are in the sport, meeting people that I've spoken to on Twitter the last couple of months for the first time in Larry Live and so forth. All those things combined, it's amazing. And I think we also... Take up some extra knowledge from being somewhat closer to the race. Some small things that come into your mind where, which you don't think about when you're watching TV and watching it from far, far away on your couch, for example. But uh, yeah, there, there's been a lot of like stuff that have come in my mind uh, from the moment we uh, we got here, and it's also, it's maybe it's a weird thing, but I feel like in Belgium I'm in my comfort zone, and when I'm out of my comfort zone, I tend to be more outgoing and extrovert and do more stuff and experience more stuff and i'm r- really enjoying that part
1: yeah it's good and going in the Yambo visma car yesterday was crazy like behind case Lamraiser, thanks to them for organizing that it's just i don't know There's there's so much that's a part of cycling and i'm not talking about oh now that i went to the race in person i have some deeper understanding of tactics and strategy not really like, you still see way more on TV. It's more the logistics, like how a cycling race happens. And, like, they were showing us uh, Eddie from from Yumbo. He's like, these are the, the, the cars that we've had to take down to Sicily. They're already there, and they've got the cars and vans staying here for Tour de Hungary afterwards. And this huge logistical exercise in the background that's like um, – You know, Formula One is like another scale, but in cycling, it's still huge. And yeah, that's another aspect of the sport. Or even I saw on Dowsett's blog, like those guys having to wait in traffic to go to the team's presentation. Like there's also the boring part. There's a lot of standing around. Like that's what the big thing for me is like the team's presentation, Benny, they're just like standing around for a lot of the time. I would hate that.
0: Yeah, the team presentation is not exactly the thing I was hyped about. I was more into the networking part, talking to like teams and riders and staff and so forth in the bus zone and so forth. But I also want to mention, meeting you for the first time was a big thing. Arguably the biggest thing of this trip so far, because uh, we've been apart so long, and we've now reunited or united for the first time. And uh, that leads me into uh, the follow-up there. We came together, we made podcasts together the last uh, three days now. And I was wondering, are we planning to do this ever again?
1: We are. We are. Works are in motion. Got a catch-up call with Zwift in a a week or two when I'm back home. Uh, as you said, Benji, yeah, we broke bread together. And, yeah, it'd be great to do it again. I mean, the Tour of Welter, Welter's in in the Netherlands where it starts. Tour starts in Denmark. So, interesting. I like the Grand, the Grand Departs when they're in a different country. adds a different element to it. Um But, yeah, I'd like to do some smaller races next year, like Tour de la Provence I think it would be pretty cool to go to in the south of France. I'm saying that selfishly because it's it's near me and I can drive to it. So, (laughs) Catalonia was great because, again, I could just drive to the start of like five stages within an hour. But, yeah, planning on doing it again. The tour I think will be, yeah, it's a whole different scale. So, there's a lot of planning that needs to go into that. But we're trying and maybe – We'll do it. if we, if that does happen. We'll try like do an organized meetup or something, uh, somewhere at the Tour de France of Wales. But no promises, things change. Um, and sometimes things can't happen, but we're trying our best in that respect. Uh, but yeah, any other thoughts from the Grande Partenza here, Benji? Any, any highlights? Like, what was your highlight? The one thing, the wrong, one rider you saw that was like, oh, that was great to see that in person.
0: No offense to the writers. I loved meeting them, but I think meeting the LRCP followers was the best thing because you tend to hear their experiences, how they came into contact with the podcast, what they like about it, stuff like that, where they're from. People from all over the world Singapore, Romania, uh, not from Belgium. So slightly disappointed there, Belgians. Come on, you should have been here. But uh, plenty of people from all over the world. And it, I think that's my highlight, meeting those people.
1: Yeah, it's been great. I like doing the watching. Yeah, going to do the TT recon and having a look at the TT course and then seeing the riders ride up it, it's just nice to see that what was a an empty road with literally no one on it and just we were the only people there. A day later, it's transformed into five deep on the sides, people screaming and going crazy for the Jira. So that was cool. Uh, but yeah, going Potten is a great success. Uh, we didn't lose a file. We managed to do the preview, 90 <laughs> minutes. We didn't lose anything like that. So... Happy in that aspect. Uh, we knock on wood. We haven't done the uh, sprint stage this afternoon, but that one shouldn't be too bad. So, one question we had was: if Sportser, or I guess if anyone's crazy enough to offer me a uh, commentary, offers Benji a commentary job that required him to quit the podcast, would he do it from Tibor Rozert?
0: No, I uh, I would not. I uh, will be clear though. Like I'm open to things that are next to the podcast and that don't hinder the podcast, but I have no interest at the moment in doing anything that hinders the podcast because this is a great journey to be on and I love doing it. Now, obviously, if Sporza comes up with an eight, nine figure offer, I might actually consider it, but I don't think they can afford that. So uh, I'm afraid that you're gonna have to stick with me for a while here on LRCP, which is probably a good thing, but I said it, like offers that end onto the content we do, cooperations with certain like businesses in cycling and so forth and also like teams and so forth uh to make our content better whether it's on our individual channels or in the podcast i would love to do more stuff like that because uh i feel like yeah i feel like i have a very uh interested uh yeah i've had an interesting experience here the last few days and i want to do more in cycling that's what i mean
1: yeah like i don't think um like a lot of people assume that the commentary jobs is like the pinnacle of cycling of where where to get to. I guess um, I've forged my own path in the cycling industry, and so it, it's something I do want to do. I do want to do it because I think I'd be good at it. I've said this before. I think I'd be good at it, but you, th- you may think you're good something, you could be shit. I could actually be terrible at live commentary. I want to try it and. Um, just see it. do I like it? I, it might be something as well, like I actually don't have anything conflicting with it because we record the podcast afterwards. So as you said, like it seems like something that could be possible in conjunction with uh, the podcast or my the highlight videos or the main content on lantern Rouge YouTube channel or the website, et cetera. it's um it seems like something in conjunction with that. so, but you never know. um and it's good that we're having that that's an option. It's crazy that two years ago that wouldn't have really been a a possible question and that sort of goes into another one any chance we could provide live commentary in the future for races i guess we don't have i don't have rather um i've got delayed use rights for lantern rouge youtube across all the lantern rouge sort of platforms with various race organizers but no live rights that's a whole different scale of cost and um so i don't have them so live commentary that would then be sort of live comms without Uh, video i've done watch-alongs like that in the past uh we've thought about it but again you need great internet connection and it's very tiring as well because you do that three hours two hours and then do the podcast it's just maybe maybe for like a benelux tour or something i don't know uh is that something you would want to do benji
0: Hmm. i uh nah uh i don't know like live commentary it's I've never been like super intrigued by live commentary. I I think if we come to the last 200 meters, I'd stumble over my words and ruin everybody's day because of that. But uh, all in all, I do think that it's intriguing to offer alternative commentary in some shape or form. But like you say, uh, it's difficult to do that because even if you provide only audio commentary, syncing it up with the live stream of that person that is watching to it is going to be difficult because when you watch on certain media, it's sometimes slower and sometimes faster than uh, other media. So uh, that's just an intriguing aspect of it, I think.
1: Before we get into the next question, to remind you, the LRCP Giro coverage is supported by GCN+. Plus. Three stages might be down, but GC is by no means decided at all. So it's not too late to get yourself a GCN+, Plus subscription. You can watch all of the Jira live and ad-free and on demand on GCN+, Plus. who have live rights worldwide, excluding New Zealand, all LRCP listeners from the US, UK, Australia, Canada, Germany can get 25% of an annual GCN Plus subscription by heading to GCN.eu slash LRCP in the description down below. We have the Mount Etna stage tomorrow, the first GC real test. That is definitely one to tune into live on GCN Plus. All right, now on to some more cycling-focused questions. This is the one I have I know I'm going to open myself up to some abuse here. Not just criticism, abuse. What would our ideal world tour calendar look like from Thomas? I would probably cut it by 60 to 70%. Um, I think only the Grand Tours and the monuments should be world tour races and maybe Paris-Nice, Toreno and Dauphine and nothing else should be world tour. And I think the Grand Tours should be like four weekends of three stages across a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and have four Grande Parves or Grande Partenses. And that way, you know, all the purists that are watching the for a while, be like, you're out of your mind. And I know this is never going to happen. I'm just talking commercially. That's the product that would make the most sense to uh, new audiences. I think I'm trying to explain to them how it works sort of like F1 style because, Okay, that's like pie-in-the-sky ridiculous thinking. Obviously, Grand Tour is never going to do that. I do think 21 stages of the Welter is too long. It's just I just don't think it's an appealing product for 21 stages and maybe even the Tour of Nigeria that also applies. But um, I just think the calendar is way too big, World Tour calendar. We don't like Romady for the other work. Like we shit on it, but it's for a reason. It's like, what are we doing here? Why is this World Tour designation? This is supposed to be premium top races. What, we don't even have any sprinter here, any like top GC guys, this is a clearly, the calendar is too full. So like, what do you think, Benji? Do you think there should be some pruning or big slashes to the calendar or nothing, no changes at all?
0: I think relatively big changes. I think there's an ideal calendar out there. I think that there's a few aspects to that ideal calendar that first of all, race is not overlapping. That's a big thing for me because... I want at least the possibility that the big guns ride most of the races and if you have overlapping races that's literally impossible that's not likable obviously some riders have different disciplines and so forth than others so it won't be that every single big rider does the same calendar but you improve the calendar the start list of every world tour race if you've got a, a smaller world tour calendar that does not overlap, for example. And like you say, no Mickey Mouse races included. Romandy doesn't need to be a, a world tour race. Quebec, Montreal, I don't care at all. Uh, tour of Guangxi, everybody forgot it was world tour for the last two years anyway, because it hasn't been ridden. Bimmer's Classics, so I, I don't care. Ashwin Frankfurt, sorry Germans, but I don't care. Tour de Romandy, same story. I don't need that as a world tour race. Like Brugge de Ponne, a Belgian race. Like, I'm not biased against like these other countries because... I'd say that Belgium is the biggest, like, perpetrator. They've got way too many classics that are in the World Tour calendar. Duarsdor needs doesn't need to be there. Brugge de Panne doesn't need to be there. And even, like, Edric and Dwebelheim and RVV have a... There's a an argument to be made for them to be World Tour, but E3 is just a RVV, but a week earlier. So I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a thing. Omloop is kind of the start of the... Of the spring classics, but it's also just a preparation race for everybody. So it's like half of the Walter races are preparation races for other Walter races, and there should not be that way if that makes any sense. And I think that that's one aspect to it. And then I've also got the unrealistic goal that it should be more global. Yes, I know that it completely opposes what I just said. Yeah, you just said get rid of all the other ones outside of the original countries. So ideally you've got a world tour calendar that is more global that introduces races in in rwanda for example stuff like that i know this is unrealistic based on the current economics of this sport but ideally that's the case so ideally you've got i don't know a couple classics in rwanda on the muda kigali instead of like for example e3 being in in world tour stuff like that so yeah uh just random arguments that i just threw in does any of that make sense
1: I mean, the logistics of a one-off race in Africa at World Tour level, it's like the the reason these races are given World Tour designation is because if the Tour Down Under wasn't World Tour, the Canadian races weren't World Tour, then they wouldn't have teams turning up. So that's why they're given World Tour designation. Um, But then it's like, well, they're not actually like as prestigious as other World Tour races. That's even reflected in some of the UCI points between these races, some of the newer ones. So it's... It's a fine balance. It's a difficult balance to balance the wanting to grow the sport in new markets and new countries, and not just having every single race in Italy, uh, Benelux, or Spain or France, versus having the World Tour calendar getting too bloated. And so, that's the that's the balance that's really difficult. But yeah, I just think it's it's too it's too big and i would prefer like we just i know this because we have to do we do so many recasts because we do every women's world tour and world tour race like it's so big and a lot of the races we can see in the data like people really just they really care about the big ones and we know what races they are and I, i even have in the data and this maybe i think it applies similarly to the actual live broadcast i would think like the drop off during grand tours as well. I really think, I really think, three weeks is too long. Like, and I, I, you look at the transition stages and filler stages. Like, I know they offer an opportunity for people like Pollitt to get a win from the break, but is that an appealing viewing experience? I'm not sure. I, I really think they should be shorter.
0: I think that whatever we just said traditionalists are going to hate us in this sport 100% but I guess it's our take on this and I think that women's cycling is making a similar mistake now it's kind of following the same footsteps of a large world tour calendar introducing so many world tour events in women's cycling and I think uh, while I enjoy the calendar growing having more stage races in there and so forth for races to apply to they've kind of all become world tour instantly forcing teams to kind of join them and now we have four riders per team and certain world tour events in women's cycling so that's one aspect i really don't like i feel like i've said it a few times about women's cycling like i feel like they're trying to make it too much like men's cycling and men's cycling is far from perfect
1: yeah and we saw like yeah tour of britain last year i'm not sure if it, no it was it is women's world tour um like it was the day after Paris-Bay and. I think Trek were like fielded, yeah, as you said, like three or four riders, and then I think one of them pulled out because they were banged up from a crash the day before. So, yeah, scheduling and as well, I think uh, Sebastian Nzuwe, who did the interview with us earlier in the year, he said, like, our teams in Women's World Tour, they're not big enough yet to be able to uh, properly field teams for all these new races we have to do. But on a similar note, if we could design a stage race, what would it look like from Jared? And I like, once again, very polarized races, so pancake flat sprint stage, a prologue at the start, flat prologue, all with a little kicker at the end, I don't mind, and then I want high mountains discussed in stages like the Giro I was supposed to have last year, but also uh, 80 kilometers, 70 to 80 kilometers of flat time trialing, pancake flat time trialing. So you have this tension between can and win or Wiggins or Wow, no, not Wow or Roglic or whatever. But then you have got to give enough in the parkour to the to the pure climbers, to the altitude specialists, or for medium mountain raids as well. So it's basically like taking the Tour de France Wiggins 2012 parkour, meld it with like the worst part of a nasty pre-venue Giro parkour, mash it together uh, in one week, and see what happens. Um, and Hopefully, there's a tax because people need to gain a lot of time and the parkour supports it.
0: I think, uh, depending on whether it's for men's or women's cycling, there's a difference for me. I think in women's cycling, we know that if mountains are involved, that Van Vleuten is going to likely dominate the race. So, there I would focus on a very backloaded race so that the last stages are the most important ones for GC and so forth. But if you look at men's cycling, I would actually say something rather similar, but with at least a test in the initial part. I enjoy that. Grand tours, like, for example, the Tour de France next year is starting off with a stage that applies to the riders that are now the superstars in the sport, the punchers and so forth, just like the world champs are now all puncher parkours these days. It's it's annoying for the world champs that it's every year, but for a grand tour, I don't mind that because I want to see the best of the best fighting against each other for that first Malia Rosa yellow jersey, red jersey, whatever, on the first stage, stuff like that. I don't want large differences in the initial week. I don't want dangerous parkours in the initial week. And that's where I want to throw something to you first before I uh, continue on, on my quest to say that backloaded uh, races like the Giro d'Italia, I do like that because the last week is very important. But uh, cobble stages in Grand Tours, what do you think about that? Um,
1: I don't really. Like, will the Tour de France GC be upended by the cobble stage? Probably not, but someone might have a mechanical and lose a lot of time. I don't mind the big time gaps at the start if from a TT uh or from the mountains because as long as there's the counterbalance in the back end now this all falls down what i'm saying because i'm talking about it through the paradigm of 2015 where tt specialists were tt specialists and there were pure climbers and maybe you make it too hard and pogatja just wins easily after the first week and that's worst case scenario for audience interest as we saw last year after stage eight so that's the risk of what i'm saying is if you make it too much G C action at the start, you can you can ruin the race. Cause yeah, you I think someone's modeled this. I can't remember exactly in like a paper. That as the tighter the G C gaps going into the rest of the back end of a grand tour, the the it correlates well to audience interest. If there's big gaps in G C people switch off.
0: I think the one thing that I do want to mention is the best Grand Tours that we've had in the last couple of years, or the ones that we remember the most, is when there was an upset in the last week. The Chrysler crash on the snow, the Pogaccio versus Roglic time trial. That Grand Tour was not necessarily the most stressful or crazy, uh, that, yeah, Tour de France, for example, the one with Pogaccio and Roglic, but the final made that race. So that's why I want that backloaded or A last week that can decide so, so much because that's what people remember. The recency buys of the last week, that's what makes the memories of the race.
1: Yeah, and it's whether you do it with TT or like into the France 2020, or you do it like in the Giro last year, these big mountain stages with Zonkalan, Alpemota, Segata Alla, and you have them really offering a banal getting weaker and a caruso and almeida and simon yates getting stronger or like the cortina d'Ampezzo stage so yeah agree um you got to offer something in the back end which is the tour this year like i don't know how to cam's hard, but it's actually what am i talking about there's a 40k tt on stage 20 that i have no idea what could happen there anything could happen <laughs> uh Different question, more a macro question about the popularity of the sport from Michael. How do you see the sport evolving in the next five to ten years? It seems that the popularity of cycling is increasing. Uh, I don't know if Michael means cycling is in individuals taking up the sport of cycling themselves or pre- watching the sport of cycling. What needs to happen to broader the sport's appeal to wider audiences? You want to have a first dig at this, Benji?
0: Sure. I think I'll answer the, first, the second part or the last part uh, first, because that's something that comes into my mind first. The, what needs to happen to broaden the sports appeal to wider audiences. And that's where kind of... Uh, we've spoken about this a lot, I think, in the past, like the content made surrounding the sport is what can introduce younger audiences, new audience to this sport. And I think that cycling is a very traditional sport. It's in love with its traditional media old school newspapers and stuff like that but the sport should really hug the newer media a bit more trying to find ways to collaborate with content that is more intriguing to every single audience out there like the netflix thing for example is an attempt for example to just get new audience into the sport like like guys like us we're making content about the sport for example we're interested in working together with teams to make some content together with them stuff like that and that's going to introduce people to the sport and i think there's plenty of people like us that are also intrigued and uh, interested in doing that and have a platform to do so as well
1: Yeah this is a tough one because if if i say everything then i remove the ability to charge consultancy fees for sort of saying what i think but yeah it's like F1's already done the template, you use a, a whole of life, large content from Netflix all the way down to short form on TikTok, you absolutely flood the your social channels with it and obviously big investment in Netflix. Well, I'm not sure how the money flow works in the Netflix series. Uh, I mean, in the Tour de France case, there's some money going from the producers down to ASO and the teams and uh, France TV, and you basically build up interest there. And they also, I think, improved their live broadcasts. Some F1 fans said, uh, like they made the graph, they updated their graphics, explained the race better. So it's not just a case of okay, like. We're gonna really, we're gonna get a new social media manager on TikTok for this race organizer, and that's gonna that's gonna solve our problems. It has to be a complete whole of, uh, and the problem is as well. I just I'm talking about F1, and what I'm talking about is not really possible in cycling because ASO owns Tour de France. Uh, their holding company uh, owns the Vuelta direct or indirectly. And they own Paris-Bay, Dauphiné, Paris-Nice, but there's the Giro owned by RCS and all the Italian classics and Milanus and Reimer. There's Flanders classics. So are those three all going to join a joint venture or partnership to have a Netflix series? Because the Netflix series isn't even of all the cycling season. It's just Tour de France. So already there's cracks in this strategy. ASO eh? is you know they're trying to do the do the right thing, I think, and and grow the sport in in for their races at least, but. F one is all of F one, so that's the initial problem with it for cycling. Whether they can fix it, whether they, those three will work together about it, uh, not convinced that will happen.
0: I think one of the aspects that could help improve this entire situation is that I spoke about the sport being very traditionalist. I think it would help that some of the Jurassic Park dinosaurs in the sport could be replaced by some younger people that have. More social media knowledge, know how the social media like platforms work, how they can play into that to get the audience more engaged into the sport. If that makes any sense,
1: yeah. I mean, and I think some of those changes are happening, but yeah, it varies by race organizer, and it's not a consistent approach across across all of them. I guess we're doing our part, uh, but that's mainly through. I'll say for myself, it's not an altruistic purpose of just growing the sport <laughs> of cycling. I just, I just like covering covering cycling and the races and i guess a function you know the indirect consequence of that is that people will not direct consequence people get really uh they get more into cycling which is great um but yeah that's the answer is probably yeah just more off off field off live broadcast stuff which all the other sports seem to be prioritizing there's about thousand amazon prime series with various football teams i believe uh next question what are your thoughts on salary caps with transfer fees, shared price pools so that smaller budget teams can retain talents from Doug? Uh, I might have a stab at this one first. So American sports have a, uh, a draft system, the NFL, the NBA, uh, baseball, where there's I think uh, MLB as well. There's, they have like antitrust exemptions because they basically all the owners of this closed league where there's no relegation are effectively forming a cartel and um, restricting the entry into the labor market by people from college sports and because you get drafted. You can't choose your team. So that's actually not how a traditional labor market, I guess, in most Western economies works. Uh, so they have specific exemptions for that, but uh, in some cases, that's in one country or two with uh, Canada as well. Um that's not the case in cycling where we're literally a global sport and good luck getting legislation to cover, maybe you need to get from the UN, I wasn't good at international law, um, to give you an exemption to have a draft. I just, legally, I see it as almost impossible to for it to work. Um, and then so if you don't have a, a closed system, you don't have a draft, then it's difficult to have uh, – maybe you could then have salary caps I don't know, a salary cap, like, would that really help the sport? Because you obviously have the big players, Ineos, UAE, and then the smaller teams with less money, like Intermarche and Education First, would a salary cap and shared money help them? I guess you'd have a luxury tax. So if Ineos, in American sports, you have a luxury tax, where the salary cap's 20 mil. If Ineos spend 50, then they then pay like a tax, of another 10 or 15, and then that gets redistributed to the uh, quote-unquote poorer teams. Uh, that could work. Uh, maybe a salary cap could work, but the UCI would have to do it. I don't know. It seems like something that's just never going to happen in my eyes.
0: I think I don't know too much about salary caps. Let's be honest about it. You're way more into that than I am. I would love to know more, but I haven't researched it well enough to like go into the topic. But there's one thing about it that always comes to mind for me is one of the victims of a salary cap, salary crap, okay, the salary cap being introduced is the fact that the riders would have a limit at their earnings as well. Because now we see that gradually the salaries in cycling are improving and improving and improving. But if there's a salary cap, does that not stop those salaries from improving?
1: Oh, it gets readjusted upwards at certain intervals. But yeah, it would like. if you have a minimum salary that's higher raise the floor and then you say your salary is 20 million then do you want to pay pagacha six or seven million a year i would say yes i would say if you look at the market (laughs) of how to get wins i think you should basically maybe it would make the middle class uh cyclists earn quite a lot less when i say middle class like the riders were quite good but not superstar talent but also better than like just a neo pro or a just a pure domestique who finishes bottles, yeah. Aaron Baru, for example, like, would you pay him really solid money, or wouldn't you rather, like, if he says he's on six hundred k, I'd rather pay Pagacha six mil and then spend just get neo pros on 70 k, like that's an, to fill up your twenty million uh salary, like budget. So that's the risk. You actually don't raise, you don't really help the majority of cyclists in that sort of system.
0: I think this also kind of brings us into a different question that was also asked to us. Uh, It's about celebrity signings. At what point should teams choose their future transfers on exposure versus on the future of their team in terms of sporting merit?
1: It depends on the team. So if if you're weak on social media, if you don't have a plan, then you kind of need that the star and what they're doing off the field, off the bike, to really boost that up for you. If you're a team that has that all dialed, you, I would, you'd make your own superstar and build them up. Uh, it depends on the structure and their, their objectives. Like Israel, we're trying to buy in and get onto Grand Tour GC contention immediately. It's backfired hugely with Froome. Total tried tried to do the same in respect of classics and sprints. It's not looking good with Sagan. but I, I still think like there's a balance, right? Like Carapaz is up. Let's, Carapaz has two elements. Yeah, he's going to be. He's still really good. He might win this year. He's the favourite, and he's up for his contract is out of is up with Ineos at the end of this year. You should, I think, still price. How big he is in Ecuador? um, How biggest you know a guy he is? Even if he, even if you're like okay, he might take a step back, he might plateau, he might not win a Grand Tour with us, but we need him to just be like, just like competitive. So I still think if I'm convinced a guy is like not post prime, but maybe peaked, but still competitive, I I would still pay those quote unquote celebrity guys a fair premium.
0: I tend to somewhat agree with that. I do think I'm a fan of the system where, obviously, like you say, it's all dependent on what the sponsors want and so forth and what the goal of the setup of the team is and so forth. But I would see the ideal team, let's say I'm, I'm Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Benji Lefevre for a second. I want to build a sustainable team in the future. The key is in the word sustainable. And if you buy up a rider like Froome back in the day in the name of Israel, then that is not a sustainable investment because first of all, it was very risky after that injury. And second of all, you're investing so much money in one rider that is likely over his career. And next to that, that's money that you could invest into getting youngsters that have chances in the future and can build into a sustainable plateau in your team, a sustainable part of your team that can bring a lot of stuff in the future. And that's the intriguing aspect for me. I, I love seeing teams that try to sustainably build up their team and not try to instantly buy into the top of the sport. But there's also the aspect of like, oh, let's say you're UNOX. They are also sustainably building up, but it would not surprise me if Kristoff has the offer of joining UNOX. That would be godlike for that team as well for a one-year deal, perhaps, just to have Kristoff as that figure in that team supporting that Norwegian dream, stuff like that. I think that's a cool aspect as well. But I like sustainable growth in a team more than buying the top.
1: Yeah, and it's backfired for like Gilbert Lotto Sudal. I know he won this week at Quatre Jours de Dunkirk, which actually has more than four stages, which should be illegal. Um, <laughs> it's just you—you you actually handicap the team, and you can't go and spend. I don't know. I need to look at the market and be like, okay, where actually for performance, do you want to spend some money? I would dare say it's second contract guy. Well, first of all, I think overpaying neo pros on a long term deal if they're legit. And by overpaying, I mean instead of paying them fifty k, you pay them 100, 150K and fifty k a year, which is a lot for some neo pros. But if if in two years into a four year deal or three year deal, they're already like Olaf <laughs> koi I got a top ten sprinter on a hundred k or less or, or slightly more. Like, but it's difficult to really know without seeing all the salaries, understanding what everyone's deals are. You kind of. Uh, just making some assumptions about what people are getting paid and what's the most efficient rider to sign but the last question on our list from daniel what's our favorite sport apart from cycling I'll, i'll let benji go first and he needs to guess
0: mine wait there's other sports out there i didn't know that i thought that cycling was a superior thing and then the rest was gone now some of you might know that i've got a bit of a history and uh in different sport. I played basket as a kid. Then I went to uh, playing football and then I ended up jumping into the cycling stuff afterwards. And I, um, since I switched to cycling, I haven't cared about any other sports, since. which is perhaps harsh to say. I care more about the setup and the economics around other sports to see whether there's intriguing aspects to the cycling world than the actual sport itself. And to be honest, I, my entire day exists of doing cycling stuff and following cycling stuff now that i don't have time for other sports but i would guess that your other sports is ah it's difficult you know i know you've got a hisp- history with a few sports that some people might not even know about i think we posted on twitter the other day a bit of a what is it two truths one lie on the podcast twitter a few uh, a few days ago including that you did a certain sport as a kid is that true
1: Oh, not as a kid, but, oh, when I just finished school, yeah, Olympic weightlifting, that was true. Uh, never appeared in court as a lawyer, that was true, except for being admitted, but acting as a lawyer, didn't ever appear in court because I was a front-end lawyer, just doing deals, doing deals all day, still doing deals. Um yeah, which people always assume like lawyers are like arguing cases in court. That's the stereotype. of Sorry, lawyer. sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're talking about the lawyer thing a lot, but I want to bring it back. You did Olympic weightlifting.
1: Well, yeah, it's just like I didn't go to the Olympics. It's called it's called Olympic weightlifting. But yeah, I did. Um, just squatting heavy, I guess, and like my short dimensions, as people have said, not 165, but still, nonetheless. Um, yeah, suited it, and that actually helped cycling when I first started it. But the lie was uh, I played cricket for Queensland schoolboys, uh, but I didn't play for. Surrey. they didn't like. It. They thought I was a bit of a hack. In, though I thought I was pretty good. Um, so that was the lie. People, they didn't. It's always the least obvious ones that are the lies. Uh, but that segues into yeah, my favorite sport still uh, is cricket. I think it's my it was my first love, and um, I almost like it more than cycling. So, so oh, get out of here! <laughs> it's It'd be tough to cover. Um, there's like a much more competitive industry to cover. I, I would like eventually to I don't know, to dip the toe into cricket at some point in into the cricket media, but, yeah, it's, I, it's, I, it's very similar. It is very similar. It's like five days. It's almost impervious and impossible to understand the sport from the outside if you weren't raised with it or become obsessed with it. Um, the test match system – it's kind of like World Tour where there's like, no, they haven't introduced a ranking now, but there's like, you just play test matches and there's no like overall winner. Whereas in the, like the World Cup makes sense to people, T20. So yeah, cricket was the first love and and still love it. But um, it's very, very tough to follow it with, with cycling. Just is all consuming. For like leisure, I watch... Uh, I watch NBA mainly NFL. NFL I got really into, and that was again from their YouTube channel putting up all the good highlights. Same with F1, I got into. I'm like just a casual as well, but I bought the pass from their YouTube channel. So yeah, I'm a suck. I'm just an example of what we spoke about before. Like if you if they do sports are doing good stuff on social media or YouTube, like I eventually just buy the pass and then become a sort of casual but committed casual fan. Um, and John Boy is almost doing that for me with baseball. He's like the baseball version of of me with the highlight clips and he I'm kind of getting into baseball through him. But yeah, that's, I have a
0: lot of sports, Benji. I'm a, I'm a
1: sportsman.
0: <laughs> sportsman, yes, yes, yes. I do want to say, like, we've gone through a lot of questions here, but if you have a different take on any of the stuff that, like, we said, definitely drop it in the comments below on YouTube or at us on Twitter and so forth. We'd love to hear your takes on what we do and what we talk about here. And uh, yeah, maybe our perspective might change if we hear uh, a good take from you. I mean,
1: yeah, I'll let people try and I want to see people trying to convince us that over a hundred days of World Tour racing is is good and everyone's really excited by it. <laughs> like I get the argument, just to, you know, I get the argument that we need new races in other countries to be World Tour designation. But yeah, that, that one's a tough one. I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts on that because that's a really important point for this sport. Because if it is growing, and we also discussed, I think it is growing cycling's in a good place where i think it is about to hopefully take off there can't be this many people getting onto bikes buying road bikes and we need to convert them over to the sport and some are already but you know the netflix stuff people other companies races getting sharper on youtube we need to make sure the sport is ready to make sense to those people and be in a good place so that it's not yeah so that it does for those people to stay around because you need them to stay around outside of just a Netflix series or a YouTube video, uh, et cetera. But that's all from us in the Q&A. We really enjoyed it. Thanks to Zwift, their support meant we could come over to the Budapest for the Giro d'Italia. We've had a great time. We're going to watch the end of the Stage 3 sprint now between Cav, DeMar, and Caleb, Ewan and Binium, and maybe MVP or Mareshko. We don't know yet. We've had a great time, and we'll have a final hurrah tonight before. When's your flight, Benji? It's like an ungodly hour.
0: Yeah, I need to uh, step out of our Airbnb at 3.20 tonight. And then I've got my flight at 6.20 roughly and the uh, Budapest airport. So this is going to be a, a very fun night, I'm afraid. I don't think I'll sleep beforehand because I think not sleeping might be better than actually sleeping for like two hours.
1: I think Benji, yeah, should just go drinking in the Ruin bars in Budapest and then just get a taxi straight to the airport. I think that's the (laughs) only option for him at this point. But thanks, as always, for your support. We've loved meeting uh, all of you or any of you that we met in Budapest. Hopefully meet more of you throughout the year. And, yeah, thanks for all the comments and likes on the podcast. If you do support the podcast, it would be great if you could subscribe if you're on YouTube or follow it on Podcast Players. makes a big difference as well as liking each of the videos and commenting or, or following us. At and Rouge Cycling Podcast on Twitter. Thanks as always, and we'll see you with a stage four recap, the Mount Etna stage tomorrow. Ciao.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.